Section 24 of The Book of the Thousand Nights and a Night, Volume 10. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Book of the Thousand Nights and a Night, Volume 10, by Anonymous. Translated by Richard Francis Burton. Social Condition. B. Woman. The next point I propose to consider is the position of womanhood in the nights, so curiously at variance with the stock ideas concerning the Moslem home and domestic policy, still prevalent not only in England, but throughout Europe. Many readers of these volumes have remarked to me with much astonishment that they find the female characters more remarkable for decision, action, and manliness than the male and are wonderstruck by their masterful attitude, and by the supreme influence they exercise upon public and private life. I have glanced at the subject of the sex in al-Islam to such an extent throughout my notes that little remains here to be added. Women, all the world over, are what men make them, and the main charm of Amazonian fiction is to see how they live and move and have their being without any masculine guidance. But it is the old ever-new fable, Who drew the lion vanquished? T'was a man. The books of the ancients, written in that stage of civilization when the sexes are at civil war, make women even more in real life the creatures of their masters. Hence, from the dawn of literature to the present day, the sex has been the subject of disappointed abuse and eulogy almost as unmerited. Ecclesiastes, perhaps the strangest specimen of an inspired volume the world has yet produced, boldly declares, quote, One upright man among a thousand I have found, but a woman among all I have not found. Quote. Volume 7, 28 thus confirming the pessimism of Petronius, Femina nulla bona est, et si bona contigit ulla, nesio quo fato res male facta bona est. In the Psalms again, 30 verse 15, we have the old sneer at the three insatiables, hell, earth, and the parts feminine, os vulvi. And rabbinical learning has embroidered these and other texts producing a truly hideous caricature. A hadith attributed to Muhammad runs, quote, They, women, lack wits and faith. When Eve was created, Satan rejoiced, saying, Thou art half of my host, the trustee of my secret, and my shaft wherewith I shoot and miss not. End quote. Another tells us, quote, I stood at the gate of heaven, and lo, most of its inmates were poor, and I stood at the gate of hell, and lo, most of its inmates were women. End quote. Take care of the glass files, cried the prophet to a camel guide, singing with a sweet voice. Yet the Meccan apostle made, as has been seen, his own household produced two perfections. The blatant popular voice follows with such dictates as Women are made of nectar and poison. Women have long hair and short wits, and so forth. Nor are the Hindus behindhand. Women has fickleness implanted in her by nature, like the flashings of lightning. Katha, SS, 1, 147. 
she is valueless as a straw to the heroic mind, 169. She is hard as adamant in sin, and soft as flower in fear, 170. And, like the fly, she quits camphor to settle on compost, 217. What dependence is there in the crowing of a hen? Women's opinions, says the Hindi proverb. Also, a virgin with gray hairs, i.e. a monster, and wherever wendeth a fairy face, a devil wendeth with her. The same superficial view of holding woman to be lesser and very inferior man is taken generally by the classics, and Euripides distinguished himself by misogyny, although he drew the beautiful character of Alcestis. Simonides, more merciful than Ecclesiastes, after naming his swine-women, dog-women, cat-women, etc., ends the decade with the admirable bee-woman, thus making ten per cent honest. In medieval or Germanic Europe, the doctrine of the Virgin Mother gave the sex a status unknown to the ancients except in Egypt, where Isis was the helpmate and completion of Osiris, in common parlance, the woman clothed with the sun. The kindly and courtly Palmerin of England, in whose pages, quote, gentlemen may find their choice of sweet inventions, and gentlewomen be satisfied with courtly expectations, end quote, suddenly bursts out, quote, but in truth women are never satisfied by reason, being governed by accident or appetite, end quote. Chapter 49 the knights, as might be expected from the emotional East, exaggerate these views. Women are mostly sectaries of the god Wunsch, beings of impulse, blown about by every gust of passion, stable only in instability, constant only in inconstancy. The false ascetic, the perfidious and murderous crone, and the old hag procuress, who pimps like um kulsum, for mere pleasure, in the luxury of sin, are drawn with an experienced and loving hand. Yet not the less do we meet with examples of the dutiful daughter, the model lover, matronly in her affection, the devoted wife, the perfect mother, the saintly devotee, the learned preacher, Univira the chaste widow, and the self-sacrificing heroic woman. If we find, Volume 3, 216, the sex described as, an awful cast by kites wherever they list, and the studied insults of volume 3, 318, we also come upon an admirable sketch of conjugal happiness, volume 7, 43, and, to mention no other, Sharier's attestation to Scheherazade's excellence in the last charming pages of the Nights. It is the same with the Katha, whose praise and dispraise are equally enthusiastic. For example, women of good quality are guarded by their virtue, the sole efficient chamberlain, but the Lord himself can hardly guard the unchaste. Who can stem a furious stream and a frantic woman? 1. 328. Excessive love in woman is your only hero for daring. 1. 339. Thus fair ones, naturally feeble, bring about a series of evil actions which engender discernment and diversion to the world. 
but here and there you will find a virtuous woman who adorneth a glorious house as a streak of the moon arrayeth the breadth of the heavens. One three forty six. So you see, king, honorable matrons are devoted to their husbands, and tis not the case that women are always bad. Two six twenty four. And there is true wisdom in that even balance of feminine qualities advocated by our Hindu Hindi class book, the Toti Nama or Parrot Volume. The perfect woman has seven requisites. She must not always be merry, one, nor sad, two. She must not always be talking, three, nor silently musing, four. She must not always be adorning herself, five, nor neglecting her person, six. And, seven, at all times she must be moderate and self-possessed. The legal status of womankind in all Islam is exceptionally high, a fact of which Europe has often been assured, although the truth has not even yet penetrated into the popular brain. Nearly a century ago, one Mirza Abu Talib Khan, an Almildar, or revenue collector, after living two years in London, wrote an apology for, or rather a vindication of, his countrywomen, which is still worth reading and quoting. Nations are but superficial judges of one another. Where customs differ, they often remark only the salient distinctive points which, when examined, prove to be of minor importance. Europeans, seeing and hearing that women in the East are cloistered, as the Grecian matron was wont, and that wives may not walk out with their husbands and cannot accompany them to balls and parties, moreover that they are always liable, like the ancient Hebrew, to the mortification of the sister-wife, have most ignorantly determined that they are mere serviles and that their lives are not worth living. Indeed, a learned lady, Miss Martineau, once visiting a harem, went into ecstasies of pity and sorrow because the poor things knew nothing of, say, trigonometry and the use of globes. Sonini thought otherwise, and my experience, like that of all old dwellers in the East, is directly opposed to this conclusion. I have noted, night 962, that Muhammad, in the fifth year of his reign, after his ill-advised and scandalous marriage with his foster daughter, Zainab, established the hijab, or veiling of women. It was probably an exaggeration of local usage, a modified separation of the sexes, which extended and still extends even to the Badawi, must long have been customary in Arabian cities, and its object was to deliver the sexes from temptation, as the Quran says, 32.32, Purer will this practice be for your hearts and their hearts. End quote. The women, who delight in restrictions which tend to their honor, accepted it willingly and still affect it. They do not desire a liberty, or rather a license which they have learned to regard as inconsistent with their time-honored notions of feminine decorum and delicacy, and they would think very meanly of a husband who permitted them to be exposed, like Hiteri, to the public gaze." As Zubiar Pasha, exiled to Gibraltar for another's treason, said to my friend, Colonel Buckle, after visiting quarters evidently laid out by a jealous husband, 
We Arabs think that when a man has a precious jewel, tis wiser to lock it up in a box than to leave it about for any one to take. The Eastern adopts the instinctive, the Western prefers the rational method. The former jealously guards his treasure, surrounds it with all precautions, fends off from it all risks, and if the treasure go astray, kills it. The latter, after placing it in evidence, upon an eminence in ball dress, with back and bosom bared to the gaze of society, a bundle of charms exposed to every possible seduction, allows it to take its own way, and if it be misled, he kills or tries to kill the misleader. It is a fiery trial, and the few who safely pass through it may claim a higher standpoint in the moral world than those who have never been sorely tried. But the crucial question is whether Christian Europe has done wisely in offering such temptations. The second and main objection to Moslem custom is the marriage system, which begins with a girl being wedded to a man whom she knows only by hearsay. This was the habit of our forebears not many generations ago, and it still prevails amongst noble houses in southern Europe, where a lengthened study of it leaves me doubtful whether the love marriage, as it is called, or wedlock with an utter stranger, evidently the two extremes, is likely to prove the happier. The sister-wife is or would be a sore trial to monogamic races like those of northern Europe, where Kaya, all but the equal of Caius in most points mental and physical, and superior in some, not unfrequently proves herself the man of the family, the only man in the boat. But in the East, where the sex is far more delicate, where a girl is brought up in polygamy, where religious reasons separate her from her husband during pregnancy and lactation for three successive years, and where often enough, like the Mormon damsel, she would hesitate to, quote, nigger it with a one-wife man, end quote, the case assumes a very different aspect, and the load, if burden it be, falls comparatively light. Lastly, the patriarchal household is mostly confined to the grandee and the Richard, whilst holy law and public opinion, neither of which can openly be disregarded, assign command of the household to the equal or first wife and jealously guard the rights and privileges of the others. Mirza Abu Talib, the Persian prince, offers six reasons why, quote, the liberty of the Asiatic women appears less than that of the Europeans, end quote, ending with, I'll fondly place on either eye the man that can to this reply. He then lays down eight points in which the Moslem wife has greatly the advantage over her Christian sisterhood, and we may take his first as a specimen. Custom, not contrary to law, invests the Mohammedan mother with despotic government of the homestead, slaves, servants, and children, especially the latter. She alone directs their early education, their choice of faith, their marriage, and their establishment in life. And in case of divorce, she takes the daughters, the sons going to the sire." She has also liberty to leave her home, not only for one or two nights, but for a week or a fortnight, without consulting her husband. And whilst she visits a strange household, 
the master and all males above fifteen are forbidden the harem. But the main point in favor of the Moslem wife is her being a legal sharer. Inheritance is secured to her by Quranic law. She must be dowered by the bridegroom to legalize marriage, and all she gains is secured to her. Whereas in England, a Married Woman's Property Act was completed only in 1882 after many centuries of the grossest abuses. Lastly, Moslems and Easterns in general study and intelligently study the art and mystery of satisfying the physical woman. In my foreword, I have noticed among barbarians the system of making men, that is, of teaching lads first arrived at puberty the nice conduct of the instrumentum paratum platandus avibus, a branch of the knowledge tree which our modern education grossly neglects, thereby entailing untold miseries upon individuals, families, and generations. The mock virtue, the most immodest modesty of England and the United States in the nineteenth century, pronounces the subject foul and fulsome. Society sickens at all details, and hence it is said abroad that the English have the finest women in Europe and least know how to use them. Throughout the East, such studies are aided by long series of volumes, many of them written by learned physiologists, by men of social standing, and by religious dignitaries high in office. The Egyptians especially delight in aphrodisiac literature, treating, as the Turks say, de la partie au-dessous de la taille. And from 1,500 to 2,000 copies of a new work, usually lithographed in cheap form, readily sell off. The Pudibund Lane makes an allusion to and quotes one of the most outspoken, a quarto of 464 pages called the Halbat al-Kumayat, or Racecourse of the Bay Horse, a poetical and horsey term for grape wine. Attributed by Durbelow to the Kazi Shams al-Din Mohammed, it is wholly upon the subject of wassail and women till the last few pages, when his reverence exclaims, quote, This much, O reader, I have recounted, the better thou mayest know what to avoid, end quote, and so forth, ending with condemning all he had praised. Even the divine and historian Jalal al-Din al-Siyuti is credited with having written, though the authorship is much disputed, a work entitled Kitab al-Iza fi ilm al-Nika, the book of exposition in the science of coition. My copy, a lithograph of 33 pages, undated, but evidently careen, begins with exclaiming, Alhamdulillah, laud to the Lord who adorned the virginal bosom with breasts, and who made the thighs of women anvils for the spear handles of men. To the same amiable theologian are also ascribed the Kitab Nawazir al Aik fi al Naik, Green Splendors of the Cops in Copulation, an abstract of the Kitab al Wisha fi Fawid al Nika, Book of the Zone on Coetian Boon. Of the abundance of pornographic literature, we may judge from a list of the following seven works given on the second page of the Kitab. Rujuwa al-Shaykh ila sabah fi il-Kuwat al-Ba. 
book of the age rejuvenescence in the power of concupiscence. It is the work of Ahmad bin Sulaiman, surnamed Ibn Kamal Pasha. 1. Kitab al-Ba by al-Nahli. 2. Kitab al-Warzna al-Arais, Book of the Bridal and the Brides, by al-Jahiz. 3. Kitab al-Kiyan, Maiden's Book, by Ibn Hajib al-Numan. 4. Kitab al-Izafi Asrar al-Nikah, Book of the Exposition on the Mysteries of Married Fruition. 5. Kitab Jami al-Liza, The Compendium of Pleasure, by Ibn Sasamani. 6. Kitab Barjan, Yarjan, Wa Janahib. 7. Kitab al-Munakaha al-Mufataha fi asnaf al-Jima wa al-Ati. Book of Carnal Copulation and the Institution into the Modes of Coition and its Instrumentation by Aziz al-Din al-Masihi. To these I may add the Lizat al-Nisa, Pleasures of Women, a textbook in Arabic, Persian, and Hindustani. It is a translation and a very poor attempt, omitting much from and adding not to the famous Sanskrit work Anangaranga, Stage of the Bodiless One, i.e. Cupido, or Hindu Art of Love, Ars Amoris Indica. I have copies of it in Sanskrit and Marathi, Guzarti and Hindustani. The latter is an unpaged octavo of 66 pages, including eight pages of most grotesque illustrations showing the various san, the figuri veneris or positions of copulation, which seem to be the triumphs of contortionists. These pamphlets lithographed in Bombay are broadcast over the land. It must not be supposed that such literature is purely and simply aphrodisiacal. The learned Sprenger, a physician as well as an Arabist, says, Al-Masudi, page 384, of a tractate by the celebrated Razes in the Leyden Library, quote, The number of curious observations, the correct and practical ideas, and the novelty of the notions of Eastern nations on these subjects, which are contained in this book, render it one of the most important productions of the medical literature of the Arabs, end quote. I can conscientiously recommend to the anthropologist a study of the Ketub al-Ba. End of section 24